Whether you are gathered at any one of our physical campuses all around the greater Charlotte area, or you're participating online today, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that you realize that you are a part of something much bigger than just what you can see. Whether that's heads down there in Ballantyne, whether that's other people across the room in Fort Mill, or whether it's just your roommate in your living room, you are a part of something much, much bigger and something really special. Today is World Communion Day. So here's what that means. We are participating as a church for the first time ever in this way all around the world with people gathered in cathedrals, socially distanced, of course, huddled in houses in the underground church in China, people meeting in homes and in huts all around the world, speaking hundreds of different languages and some speaking a language like sign language with no auditory element at all. People across every gender, every age, every ethnicity, all gathered together, united around the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Today as a church, we participate together in this World Communion Day, but also we're gonna be participating in baptism. These two things are called sacraments, some things that the church practices. And before we jump into that, wherever you find yourself, I just wanna define for you what a sacrament is and, and let you know how special these next moments are gonna be. See, a sacrament is a practice that Jesus instituted, one that he participated in and commanded himself. They're not man-made by the church or humans. They're actually developed by Jesus himself and used by God to bring grace to us. There are moments where we are taking ordinary physical elements like, like bread and juice or water, and we are engaging the Holy Spirit and his power to take these ordinary mundane things and make them come alive in ways that point us and celebrate with us in what God has done in Christ. The next few minutes, wherever you are, we're gonna ask you to participate in these things. And, and even if we don't fully understand all that's happening, we do know this, these moments are holy. And so now for those of you who are gathered at any one of our campuses, your pastors there are gonna take you through these two sacraments. And those of us who are gathered online will continue together as we join in Jesus' church, his worldwide church, in celebrating all that he is and all that he's done. For those who are still with us online, I wanna to talk to you first about this sacrament of baptism. A baptism is such an important part in the history and the, the life of the church as it is because it's all about us committing ourselves and, and coming with this visible outward sign of something that God has done. That, that's part of a sacrament. It's a, an outward sign of an inward change. And so I wanna tell you a story about one of the first people to be baptized after Christ's death. And then I wanna ask you to consider if maybe this is your next step. The story begins like this in Acts 2. Uh, it's right after Jesus has gone away back to be, from, to be with the Father. He's ascended into heaven. Uh, his followers, over the course of about a month, 40 days have gathered, and they've been waiting on what Jesus said would come, the power of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who would help them to go out and do exactly what he had commissioned them to do. And gathered up there in the upper room, one day the Holy Spirit comes and he brings power and, and everybody is ready to move forward on mission. And, and there's a crowd gathered outside. They're in Jerusalem at this point. And, and Peter, one of the first disciples, he steps out and in front of the crowd, he explains what's happening. 
and he begins to preach one of the very first sermons after Jesus' death and resurrection. He preaches a very simple one, one that simply states that Jesus was actually God and that all of the miracles and the signs and the things that he did proved that that's who he was. And then in Acts 2, 36, he says this, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and listen to this, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That day, the church grew by 3,000 people who repented of their sin, trusted in Jesus as Savior, and chose to be baptized. And, and Peter makes this statement. This is for all who are far off. I wonder if today, right where you are, do you consider yourself far off? Do you feel like maybe the mistakes of your past, maybe the places where you still struggle with understanding this whole thing, some doubts that tend to creep in, Maybe it's what you've lived or what you've done that you're constantly reminded of. Does that make you feel far off from God? If so, I wanna show you just how far, far off is and just how powerful it is when God chooses to come after you. See, I think right where you are today, God is pursuing you and he wants to show you how to come near. We're gonna do that by looking at another passage in Acts, just a few chapters later, Acts chapter eight. It's the story of a man from Ethiopia, an Ethiopian eunuch who comes to faith and then is baptized. And I wanna use this to help us understand a little bit about what it would mean to go through this process because my belief is that there are some of you watching that the next step for you in your faith journey is to follow Jesus' command to be baptized. But Jesus didn't just command it, he actually exemplified it. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin himself. In an act of obedience and humility, uh, in an act of following God's design for humans and a way to identify with us, but also as an act of commitment to his march towards the cross. So then he turns around and he asks us to be baptized as well. Now, there was a process in place at that time to become a Jew. If you were from a Gentile background, Gentile just means anybody who wasn't Jewish. And wherever you might have come from, if you wanted to convert to Judaism, you would have to go through this three-step process. First, you'd make a sacrifice. You'd have to actually kill something. Blood would be spilled, an animal, a heifer, uh, some turtle doves, a lamb. That would be murdered. The blood would be spilled and the sacrifice would be consumed by fire. The second thing then is that you would actually have to go through a process of circumcision. Uh, for males uh, at that time, especially if you were an adult male, if you chose to become a Jew, it wasn't something that you just decided flippantly because you had to go through this process of the removing of flesh as a distinguishing mark that you were now part of God's covenant people. And the only people who experienced that process were those who were following God. The third step would be to undergo baptism. That baptism would be to have your body fully immersed in water, uh, representing the washing away of your sin, but also representing the death to your old identity, your old way of life. And after completing those three steps, a person then could become a Jew. 
Well, after Jesus comes and, and institutes this brand new thing, not a new religion, but a new relationship with God, based on the foundations of all that the Jewish people had learned and practiced for thousands of years, but, but now something new. Jesus turns and uses this baptism as a way to mark, to sign and, and seal us into this family as a way to show our humility, our willingness to submit to him as Lord, our desire to identify as his people and our commitment to move forward with him as our Lord. So in Acts chapter eight, we read these words talking about this Ethiopian man who's come to this decision point. It says this in, chapter, in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, Philip wasn't one of the original apostles. He was uh, one of the folks who had come to faith in Christ later, and he was serving in the church in Jerusalem. The angel of the Lord says, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Go out to the middle of nowhere. And so he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. A eunuch was a person who had undergone castration. It's usually a person that was serving in the queen's uh, palace, usually very close to the queen, and, and they would force them to undergo this process so that they wouldn't be tempted or they wouldn't be uh, in a position to try and use their closeness to the queen for things that were wrong. They were highly valued and esteemed, highly trusted whenever they had undergone this process. This Ethiopian eunuch then had come to worship in Jerusalem. And he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, back to Ethiopia, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Can you imagine walking down the middle of a desert road and seeing a chariot with a man from a completely other country, different background, who clearly was of a different socioeconomic class as you? And God whispering to you, I want you to go and, and speak to that person. There'd be a bit of a, Probably a hesitance, maybe a little bit of insecurity for Philip. But he said yes, and he went. And it says, when Philip ran up to it, verse 30, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, Philip's a regular old guy, and this Ethiopian one is almost like royalty. He's clearly educated and powerful. It's an odd question, don't you think? Do you understand what it is that you're reading? How can I, he said unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The Ethiopian was reading this passage in Isaiah that's all about the Messiah. Of course, at this time, uh, many who had read this ancient scripture and this text about a lamb that would be led to the slaughter and would be humble and quiet as he followed through and became a sacrifice, Many had expected that that would happen to someone, maybe the prophet Isaiah himself. And the eunuch, the Ethiopian, is just not sure. He's a little confused. He understands that there's something else going on in the passage, but he doesn't quite get the whole picture. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe this whole church and Jesus thing, there's, there's so many parts to it. Maybe you're curious, but not quite confident in what you know and believe. Maybe Jesus has been presented to you as a, a good idea, a, a nice moral advisor, but maybe not as savior of the world, as king of the universe, as Lord. The Ethiopian asked Philip to explain what he's reading. 
And Philip goes on to talk all about this good news of the kingdom of God that's just happened back in Jerusalem. He goes to explain, starting there and going all the way back through scripture, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one who had come and through his death had taken away the penalty of sin. Through his burial and then resurrection had overcome and defeated the power of death. And that now was sending them out on mission to proclaim this news, this gospel, to the entire world and invite people to come be a part of the kingdom. It's such a powerful story that I sometimes think we forget that that's what's being offered to each one of us. The opportunity to join in as a citizen of this brand new kingdom and be one of God's people. But here's the problem for the Ethiopian eunuch. At any other time, he wouldn't be able to be a part of this. He was too far off. He was far off geographically, he was the wrong ethnicity. He was far off politically and economically, he was far off physically because of the nature of his body. He couldn't undergo circumcision. He couldn't be a part of this temple worship until Jesus. Philip gets so excited down in verse 34 that he explains, or down in verse 36, he explains all about Jesus. And in verse 36, it says, as they're traveling down the road, they came upon some water. Now that doesn't happen that often on a desert road. But the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord, listen to this, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Folks, you should read the Bible. Listen to this. They get out of the chariot. They get in the middle of a a pond that appears in the desert. Maybe it had been there all along. Maybe God just had it show up. I don't know. But after this baptism, this man who had been so far away from God, who had been kept away because of all the things about him that he believed made him far off, he comes up rejoicing. And the spirit of God causes Philip to disappear and to show up, we read later on in the text, some 20 miles away. God does a miraculous thing here to begin to bring those far off close. Here's my question for you. Is it your secret, your failure, your sin? Is it that thing that nobody knows about? That thing that you hope they don't find? What's keeping you continuing to feel far off? Is it what you don't understand? Is it hurt? Was it a betrayal or by you or by someone against you? If there's anything today that's keeping you from feeling like you can be close, this story and many others like it that all end up in baptism. Every convert that we see in the New Testament, except the thief on the cross with Jesus, every single one ends up being baptized as soon as they realize what Jesus has done and profess their faith and trust. That's their next step. So I wanna ask you, is there anything that could be keeping you away from this God, from trusting in his salvation and resting in his identification of you as son or daughter? Is there anything that you need to let go of and allow the sacrament of baptism to seal for you as part of this new family. See, baptism doesn't save us. It's it's not the thing that does it. Jesus' death on the cross and our faith in that by grace is what saves us. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's God's work that does it. We trust in that. And then suddenly, this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Suddenly, our simple trust in what Jesus says is true 
in God's unmerited, undeserved favor for you, it allows you to be saved. But baptism takes that and applies it in the same kind of way that Jesus did. It, it humbles us to remind us that we are choosing to let him be Lord. It, it identifies us physically, publicly, in front of others in the family of God and the church. And then it marks our commitment to try to follow him best we can, not perfectly, but the best we can from this day forward. I think there's some of you that that's the next step for you that you're ready for. But I wanna ask you before you choose to go through the, the sacrament, before you jump in the water, this plunge into the power and the promise of God, I wanna make sure to ask you, have you trusted Christ as savior yet? See, there are so many benefits of being a part of this family. It's, it's unreserved acceptance and unlimited love. It's imagine the forgiveness of all your sin, the things that make you feel and seem guilty right now being taken away forever. It's a purpose for your life now and then the promise of everlasting life to come. All of that is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Have you done that yet? Have you trusted him for that yet? Have you accepted him yet? Today's your day. I don't care how far off you think that you are. Today is the day that you can come. And if that's you, I wanna ask you to consider the next step being baptism. So you can text baptism right now to the number that's gonna be on the screen. You can let us know that, that you're ready for that. We'll get in touch with you and help you at the very next time we gather for baptism to, to join us in that. This celebration that just like the Ethiopian people often come out of the water rejoicing with hands raised in victory because they know that something has changed. It's a powerful expression of God's grace to us in the church. That's the first sacrament that we're looking at today. The second one is this idea of communion. Now. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, uh, is something the church has been practicing for 2,000 years. And it, it has happened uh, in every place where the church has gathered. It's the central part of what it means to worship God because it's this thing that Jesus began with his disciples the night before he died that was to remind them of everything he had done in their life and for them to that point. It was an offer to accept this new covenant that he had. And, and there's something in the language that Jesus used that night that I think is real important for us to grasp today. And maybe the first time that you've ever thought of it this way. But uh, that night at the Passover meal, it was a common holiday, a celebration that the Jews, Jesus followers were used to. He gathers them all together. And it'd kind of be like going to a Thanksgiving meal, something that you, you sort of know how the routine goes. He's gathered with them. And in the middle of that meal, there are several cups of wine that are offered. That are, that are drunk by the people who are there attending. And they symbolize different aspects of the Jewish story. The last one, the third one, Jesus offers to his disciples that night and the tensions are high and they're uncertain about, about what's next because you know people have been looking to kill him and, and then he goes in to tell them that this is it. The time's come where he's gonna lay his life down. And he takes this cup of wine and he offers it to them. And he takes this bread and he, he breaks it and he gives it to them. And inherent in that moment, there's something happening that occasionally we miss. And I just thought for today, as we consider this together, right before we take communion together, even uh, digitally online like this, that we should think about this. In, in the Jewish tradition, when a man was gonna get married to a woman, the dad of both would meet and they would work out the deal. 
The bride would be chosen for the son of the, the groom-to-be, and, and they would show up at a house, and they would work through this kind of arrangement. They would determine the price that the groom was going to pay for the bride, and it was, it was steep. And if you've got daughters, you understand why. That price was agreed upon. And then the next thing that would happen is the groom would take a cup of wine, and he would hand it to the bride-to-be. And he would say, this cup is a covenant in my blood. He would essentially say, I'm offering you my life. I'm offering to unite with you in marriage. And at that moment, the bride had the option. She could either drink or she could hand the cup back and reject it. Now, everybody expected that what would happen is she would drink and say yes. But that, that practice gets brought into this Passover meal with Jesus. Jesus takes the cup and it says in Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, uh, 22, 20, in the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus takes this practice, this meaning of saying yes and being united together through the blood of the one offering, of committing life to them. He takes that and he applies it in this moment to the disciples. What Jesus is doing when he says, do this in remembrance of me, which he commands us to continue, he's having us recite over and over every time the price that was paid for us, the bride, his church. It was a high price. It was the very life of God himself. And he's having us replay over and over again the offer to say yes to being united to him and to choosing to allow his life to define ours. The commitment. So when we gather together, whether it's in person or like this, and, and you begin to take these elements, these natural, ordinary things, and the Holy Spirit applies power to these, and he nourishes our souls with it, and he fills us with hope for the future, it's all because Jesus chose to say, will you be mine? I'm yours. To do that, he used language that was consistent for them. And, and I wanna now ask you, to gather your elements. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, um, this is for you. This is not for a particular denomination or a particular kind of church. This is for anybody that says, I have accepted that offer of Jesus' life. If that's you, then I want you to join with us today. We're gonna take these elements together. It says that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to those who were gathered. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take and drink. And he said, do this often in remembrance of me. And every time you do, you proclaim my death until I come back. See the belief and the hope that we have is that this life, this history of mankind ends with him returning as king and setting up his eternal kingdom. And you and I get to be a part of that by simple trust, the grace of God demonstrated in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you now, if you have these prepackaged elements that you've picked up here, you can remove the top plastic layer. I'm gonna ask a, band as you gather with me let's do this together and remember 
what Jesus has done for us in his body that was broken for you and me and this blood that was spilled so that we could find life and a new covenant together. Wherever you are, at home or watching online at this moment, would you take your bread and eat? Now, if you have this package, you peel the top off, or if you have your cup of juice or wine, you take that. And remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins and a new covenant of life with him forever. Take and drink. Would you pray with me? Father, Thank you for sacraments, holy moments that take things that are just, they're just ordinary. They're just normal for us. And like you do with everything, with all of us, you take those normal things or normal humans, those that seem and feel far away and, and those that feel like we know the answers. God, you take all of us and by the power of your spirit, you move and you bring your grace and you apply it to us. God, thank you that gathered across all kinds of venues and environments now, both here in the greater Charlotte area, but around the world, in nations and tribes and tongues and languages, together your people are proclaiming, Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, we worship you. Thank you that you offered to us your life in exchange for ours but that you didn't stay dead, that you chose to willingly take that crucifixion and that death, knowing that you would, by the power of the Spirit, defeat death and rise again and invite us into a life of experiencing that resurrection. Thank you that you go after those who are far off and that you love us with everything that you have. I pray now, as we end this time of communion together, that you would feed us at our soul level, at our spirit level, God. That you would restore to us joy in the salvation that you've given us. That you would kindle hope in the places of our hearts and our lives that maybe has gotten cold and dark. God, that you would take and unite us as one, as your church, your bride, on mission for your kingdom in this world. We pray this in your name, Jesus, and for your sake, amen.